In Friday's fellowship news, I asked you a question. I hope, hopefully you read it and have been thinking about it. And here's the question. When you think of God, do you think of him as far above or very near? I've already heard someone give the answer, both, <laughs> right? I, I think there are times in which we are reflecting upon his greatness, upon his sovereign lordship, king of kings, right? Creator of the universe, the, the greatness, the magnitude of God. And yet, we also have those times where we, we draw near to him and we're reminded that he is a, a loving savior. He is a shepherd who guides and cares and, and protects his own. And so we see both aspects of this as we think about Jesus Christ. Bill Muhlenberg had a, a great statement about this I'd like to share with you. He said this, God is near yet far, majestic yet approachable, greatly to be feared yet easily to be loved. That is the God we serve. Scripture speaks to both aspects of God, sometimes emphasizing the one, sometimes the other. And often we find passages clearly emphasizing that God is both. And I think that, that kind of stretches our perception of, of, of who God is. And it, it's important, isn't it, for us to think rightly about God. I mean, he has disclosed himself in the word. He's disclosed himself in creation. And, and it's up to each of us to, to really consider what has God said? How has he disclosed himself about us? Because, because we see that both of these are truths that, that, that speak about him. I think when Paul was, was evangelizing in Athens, and you may remember he was in a, a dialogue with with philosophers in Acts chapter 17. Of course, Athens, you know, a hub of, of Greek philosophy and so forth back in that time. And, and he's, he's having this, this dialogue with them about the nature of God because he looked out and what did he see from, from the Areopagus? He could see all these false gods lining the way throughout the Agora, the shopping area. From that, from that high position, he could look down and just see all these false gods, false temple off to his left and false temple off to his right there on the Acropolis. And, and so he's like taking the moment to speak to them about the one true God. And this is what he said. And notice how it speaks about him being far from us and near to us. The God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they live. Did you catch that? From great creative God, we see a very personal God. Let's keep reading. Verse 27, he did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. So see how Paul took these concepts of God being highly exalted and yet also very near. You probably are not surprised to know that theologians have wrestled with how to describe this, right? You've probably heard the words transcendence and eminence. 
In fact, a theologian by the name of John Frame uh, uses these terms. He says, the terms transcendence and eminence designate two kinds of relationship, relationships between God and human beings. In general, to say that God is transcendent is to say that he is exalted above and beyond us. To say that God is eminent is to say that he is present in time and space, that he is near us. So think about that. Think about that understanding of who God is, and think about some of the titles that we have of God or descriptions, and think about which category they would fall in. Let me, let me ask you, when you use the word creator or king or judge or warrior, which of these are you talking about? Yeah, that's right, the transcendence of God, that he is, he's highly exalted. But when you use terms like, like, like savior and shepherd and healer, or we've even used the word in one of our songs, a friend, what are we speaking of then? Right there, that's, that's exactly right, that he's very near to us. It's the eminence of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so for us to think about how in harmony these both work, C.S. Lewis said, God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. (laughs) Yeah, wrap your mind around that for a minute, right? Last Sunday, we considered the supremacy of Christ. Today, I want us to see his touch the touch of Christ. We're going to read two encounters that Jesus had with two different individuals, one woman and one man, and both of them were in need of his touch. And we're going to see really the eminence of Christ and that he's going to be very close to them. Uh, We'll also in some ways see the transcendence because he's a a mighty God. He is a a miracle-working God, and so we'll see that aspect as well. But we'll see both of them, and and it it will help us put into perspective, these two ideas that describe who God is, so that we can, we can know him better, we can respond to him, even as it affects the way in which we worship and praise and, and seek to, to honor him with our lives. First, a woman uh, who had a 12-year sickness, 12 years that she had a sickness, and then a man who suffered from leprosy. And each of these individuals, uh, because of their conditions physically, would have been looked down upon in that society at that time, in that culture. And so they would have, they would have had even more struggles be, beyond the, the physical struggles that, that they had. They would have been viewed maybe in some cases as outcasts. But I want us to see how Jesus interacts with each of them. And there's some, there's some similarities, there's some differences, but I think, uh, I think we will see that there is a word there for us, that, that, that the Lord preserved these accounts so that we could better understand his character and nature and to see how he also wants to relate to you and me. I invite your attention to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 25, and then we'll, uh, near the end of the message, we'll flip over to Mark 1 and read, read about the man. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Now, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors, She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, 
If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. See, the word of the Lord is alive for us even today. And there are words here for us, for us to understand and for us to see that God in similar ways wants to relate to us. A passage about him drawing near as we think about his eminence. First point in the message today is this. When Jesus is near, a new identity is given. Just think about this poor woman. Think about the identity that she must have, have felt in that time with the condition that she had. Can you imagine a 12-year sickness? I asked that question in the early service, and, and even as I asked it, I thought, you know, maybe some people can relate to that. You know, maybe some have had physical challenges or impairments that have just gone on from year after year. Uh, maybe some of us have loved ones that have dealt with, with really, really challenging uh, physical uh, uh, disabilities or, 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 uh, or sicknesses and so forth. And so, so maybe, maybe there are many within our, our fellowship today that can, that can uh, relate to this lady. But she had uh, a condition that also had social and spiritual stigma. According to Leviticus chapter 15, this kind of a sickness, a blood disease, would have kept her away from the temple in a similar way to the way in which one who had leprosy would have been excluded from the temple or from gatherings of, of a synagogue. And so she would have been, been ostracized from, from normal society. There would have been a stigma that, that followed her. She was excluded. And just think there would probably be times as we're on the, on, the, on the back side of the season of Advent, we're still reflecting upon all the opportunities we had to, to gather together. Just think about her life. She probably had to witness from afar people gathering together at the synagogue or the temple at special holidays. And so, so she felt very, very far off from, from all of what a lot of people would have been able to enjoy and participate in. But notice what Jesus uses to address her in verse 34. Did you catch that? What did he call her? daughter, daughter, a lonely, isolated woman who, because she had been prevented at times in going to worship, do you think maybe she ever thought that God may have forgotten about her? Do you think that ever struck her, that, that she had just been forgotten by God, that everybody else had the blessings, everybody else had the opportunities, but, but not her? Twelve years, he'd not heard her prayer, she thought. But now, now she is being identified by Jesus as daughter. 
Daughter of the king, right? I mean, this is, this is amazing what she is hearing, even with this one word, a new title, a new identity. It reminds me that when one comes to faith in Christ, that, that, that one receives a new identity. And if, if you are a follower of Christ, which I trust most, if not all, who are here today are, you, you, you know what I'm talking about, that, that your identity is rooted in who he is and what you have received from him. This morning when I had the, the, the privilege of baptizing Jamin Rogers, 18 years old, I can remember just a month or so ago, he walked out the lobby and said, Pastor, it's time for me to be baptized. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Let's do that. And, uh, you know, what does baptism picture? It pictures the old life being buried. And the one has a new life in Christ, a new identity. And so, so that's, that's something that we can, can understand that when we are in Christ, we have a, a brand new life that comes with a new identity, a son or a daughter of the king, a brother and a sister in Christ as we are in Christian community together, a family of God. This understanding of identity is so critical. In fact, Right now, our, our, our culture is at a crisis in trying to understand identity. Let's just say it that way. There's a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges with people trying to know who they are. There's just something within us. We want to know who we are. We want to know where we belong. And I can remember when I was uh, 15 years old, our family uh, was making a major geographic move. I'd grown up in a suburb of Houston, Texas, and my dad got a new job. He said, we're packing up the U-Haul. I've got a job, and it's in the Appalachian Mountains of Kentucky. Wow, I didn't even know about this place, right? And so we're now in eastern Kentucky. I was going into my sophomore year of high school, and it, I didn't go overseas, but it was a bit of a culture shock, okay, from where I was and, and where, where we were. I was just trying to figure it all out, and, and I'd been in, a, in an environment that was very supportive, and, and uh, my freshman year, I'd been a, voted into the student council, and I was representing the freshman class as their, as their president, and it was just, it was, it was a wonderful place to be, and then all of a sudden, I'm in this new school, and I didn't know anybody, and it didn't really dawn on me until about the middle of the day. Can you imagine what we were doing? We're having lunch, right? Yeah, so I got in that line, I got the big, you know, rectangle tray, and they filled it up with stuff, and I got to the end of the line, and I thought, where am I going to sit? I, I, don't, I don't know anybody in this room. What, what, what do I do? And uh, it was in that season that the whole idea, idea of an identity in Christ was something that the Lord really impressed upon me, that, that even if nobody else there knew who I was, He knew who I was, and He knew where I was. And I was reminded that I should know that I am also in him and that, that he was going before me and it was all going to be okay. And maybe as you look at 2023, maybe there are some transitions on the horizon or maybe you're in the midst of one and, and maybe it has at times caused you to wonder, well, well, who am I? Does the Lord know where I'm at? And I would encourage you to think about your identity today in Jesus Christ because that changes everything. And I think the fact that, that he used this word daughter was very intentional in helping her to understand his relationship to her at that point. Well, as we wrap up the first point, uh, let me just ask you this. Is your identity in Jesus Christ? If you're in Christ, you have an identity in him. In fact, there are Bible studies. There are, there are uh, resources to help a Christian understand what it means to have a Christ-centered identity. 
And if that's a new topic or a new theme to you, or maybe if it's a a topic that you think is relevant to, to, to what you're walking through right now, pursue that. Pursue that in the Lord. Pursue that here with the church. We can, uh, we can assist with that. If you're a young person, I would just tell you this. I hope you're hearing me on this point. Because understanding your identity in Jesus Christ at a young age can set forth your trajectory for the rest of your life. And it, it will help you navigate decisions. It will give you the, 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 the godly confidence to know that he is with you in every season, every step. And so, so lean in on this idea. And that might be your single pursuit for 2023. And it would, it would bear some fruit, I have no doubt. So that's the first point. When Jesus is near, a new identity is given. Number two, when Jesus is near, healing is possible. Now, I use that word intentionally because I know that there are times that we're praying for healing, and we, we sense that God's not healing, at least not maybe in the way in which we are asking for him to heal. Sometimes his healing upon a physical illness or disease is that, that he brings that person to be with him. And, uh, and that's hard on earth to try, to try to process and understand why at times there is physical healing and why at other times there's not. So that's why I use the word possible. In the, ca- in the occasions that we're going to be looking at this morning, we will see in both cases that, that there is healing. So as we read about the woman in Mark 5, she's in a desperate situation. She sought help. Look again at verse 26. It says, she had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Now, at first reading, we we look at this and say, she was doing all that she could. She was doing the right things. She was sick, and so she was going to see a doctor. She was looking for, for help, and so, so there, there's nothing about that statement that is condemning her. It's commending her, I believe. But I think what it is driving at is that there are some cases in which this world doesn't have the answer. There's not a, there's not a human that's able to solve the problem. It's a reminder of, of, of the dependency of humanity upon God. And so, so she had looked over all the answers of the world, and some people go on, on similar, similar um, pursuits. And maybe they're, they're studying philosophy or theology, or they're, they're studying psychology. They're looking for all kinds of answers for the, the hurts of the soul. And in all of those areas, you can find truth to a degree. But if it doesn't include the truth of Jesus Christ, it's incomplete. And so that's why we, we see in this account that, that she has come to Christ. And there's a picture there, I think, of the human heart and, and seeking after human remedies to make sure that, yes, we accept the things that are here that, that, are, that, are, that are appropriate, but that we never let them become a substitute for the one that we need the very most. So in this miracle, we see Jesus as the answer. He is the healer. In fact, there's a description that is given uh, to God in the Old Testament that's actually a title, and it's Jehovah Rapha, and it's a Hebrew word, and it's a phrase, and it, it means the Lord, your healer, and this, this healing can, can have a lot of different um, applications, and that word Rapha is used in different ways. In fact, the first time it's used is all the way back in the book of Genesis, Abraham has been praying for his wife, Sarah, and she was barren. And 
praying for healing, Rapha. It's also used in Exodus chapter 15. God is leading his people out of Egypt through the, through the wilderness, and they're, they're in, the, in the desert, and they come across a, a place where there's water, but the water is bitter. Do you remember Exodus 15? What was the name of that water that was bitter? Mara, right? And, and that bitter water, they, they cried out to God, you brought us to water, but we can't drink it. And it says that Rapha happened. God healed the water meaning he made it drinkable. So we have these examples of Rapha being in the physical sense. But we also see that it can also demonstrate the tenderness and compassion of God. In Psalm 147, verse 3, you might want to jot that one down. Psalm 147, 3 says this, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Now, I'm putting this in a category of emotional healing. And you know why? Because it talks about being brokenhearted. And we know that that's, that's an experience of humanity, isn't it? That, that, that there will be those occasions where, where there's, there's this brokenheartedness, there's this heaviness, there's this, this struggle that, that one is walking through. And here we have a description that, that God, not only does he know about it, but we also see that he has an active role in healing. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. So maybe today, within this gathering or those online, maybe there are some that, maybe you kind of feel like you've limped into this new year. And there are some, some wounds that are there that need healing. Aren't you glad we serve a God who's compassionate and strong? He's got that sovereign strength of a creator God, but he's got that compassionate tenderness of a shepherd, of a great physician. Well, think about that. Emotional healing. Jehovah Rapha, he heals physically, emotionally. But there's other aspects. We might even think about the way in which he can heal broken relationships, this idea of relational healing. I would also say that one would be categorized as spiritual healing. Uh, the word Rapha is used in the Psalms. David cries out to God in Psalm 41. He said, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, Rapha, for I have, what does he say? Sinned against you. And so he, he recognizes that, that his sin has caused a separation and that, that 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 relationship with him and God has been affected. And he's saying, Lord, heal me. Heal me of this sin. I need your touch. I need restoration. And so we, we see all of these opportunities. And again, I just put that against the side in which we sometimes look only for the remedies that this world can offer us. And yet we serve a God who says, I am the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha. And maybe, maybe today for some of us, that's what we need to be reminded of. And to know that there are some things that only Jehovah Rapha can heal. So my question for you on this point is this. Are you seeking the healing that only Jesus provides? Because if so, maybe 2023 can be a year in which you experience healing. A time to see the Lord's gracious work in bringing some kind of restoration. Verse 27 tells us that this woman heard about Jesus 
But what happened after that? She didn't just hear. She pursued him. She was in the crowd. She was reaching out for him. Maybe some of us today need to extend our hand, extend our hands towards the Lord and realize that he is a God who is compassionate and who is able. Well, we've seen that when Jesus is near, a new identity is given. We've seen that healing is possible. Finally, number three, when Jesus is near, faith is an appropriate response. Again, this lady was one of many in a large crowd. People were everywhere. But in verse 30, Jesus stopped the whole caravan of people and asked the question, who touched me? That question alone shows us how unique Jesus is, right? This whole idea of of him you know, being uh, far above us because uh, the fact that he even figured all that out and understood what was happening shows that he is not like us. And the disciples were probably thinking, well, come on, Jesus, there are, there are so many people clamoring around you. All kinds of people have bumped into us. We're shoulder to shoulder. How in the world could we know who it was that touched you? I like the way Augustine viewed the encounter. He said this, flesh presses, faith touches. Just think about that. Just a few words, but what's the difference? It's one thing to be shoulder to shoulder and just a part of the crowd, right? And and who knows, maybe some of the people thought, you know what, I want to go see Jesus. Maybe he'll do something that will entertain me, right? I've heard that he can heal. Or I'd like to go over and see Jesus because I've heard he, he's, been, he's been given some strong words to the spiritual leaders. Maybe we can see like an argument or something break out, right? Maybe, who knows what their motives were for a whole lot of people in the crowd? Yeah, they were pressing in, but there was one person who was so desperate. She was reaching out personally, personally reaching out to touch Christ because she knew she didn't just need something to witness and watch. She needed a personal encounter with him. Faith touches. And I know that even as we approach different opportunities, whether it's in the morning when we, when we read the Word, maybe, maybe there are some of those days that, you know, we're just, just kind of in, like the crowd, just kind of going through the motions, just kind of there, see what happens and, and move on. But maybe there are some days that we approach God's Word in the morning and we really have a desperation to say, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need to commune with you. I need to pray and have your your spirit at work in my life. And so so I think that's the distinction that we're seeing as we think about the crowd and we think about the lady. And and that can even happen when we come to to worship, right? I mean, there are some Sundays that we're probably just really keyed in and ready to see what is it that the Lord has and anticipation, expectation. There may be some days where we feel like we're just going through the motions or or maybe if we're quite honest, we just would say, I'd rather rather be somewhere else, right? I... uh, I read about a couple that was getting ready for church, and the lady got ready first, and uh, so she came out to the living room, and, and she's all ready to go to church, and her husband is still sitting there in his pajamas. She's like, ah, did you see the time? It's, it's time for us to go. He said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to church today. I don't feel like going. Well, come on. Why, why don't you want to go to church? Come on. Let's get ready and go. Well, I'll give you three reasons why I don't want to go. He said, first of all, the, the people there... They aren't friendly to me. Secondly, the people in that church, they're, they're suspicious of me. And, uh, and she, he said, first of all, number three, I'm just, I'm just not comfortable being there. And she said, oh, come on, come on. You, you know 
you know that's not true. She said, first of all, the people, they are friendly to you. And that whole thing about, about suspicion, you're just making that up. That's just all in your head. And number three, you're the pastor. You've, you've got you've to go there. You've got to show up. Now, that's not recounting a Karen and Ryan conversation. I'll just say that. I read that somewhere, and I thought it was funny, so I thought I'd share it with you. But um, my point is, we all have motives, don't we? We don't know what our motives are when we come to church. But for us just to think, well, what, what is the motive for coming? What is the motive for worship? What is the, the motive for spending time in personal devotion with the Lord? It's to draw near with a faith that is reaching out for him. You see, Jesus knew the difference, and that's why he wanted to seek to have the woman identify herself. And can you imagine? Um, what, what does the verse say? That she's, she's both filled with, uh, with fear. Is that right? I mean, you, you, you look and see when, when he asked the question, verse 33, she responds. It says, the woman with fear and trembling. And then it says that knowing what had happened, she came and fell down before him. Just think about the, the picture of, of desperation that's happening in this moment. And she's probably wondering, uh-oh, he's, he's now talking to me. What's, what's going to go? What's going to happen? But look at what Jesus said, verse 34, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Peace. The Old Testament understanding of peace was shalom. And that meant a wholeness, a completeness, not just the absence of, of, of fighting, which is what we sometimes think of when we talk about peace. But he's talking about a wholeness. Go in this type of wholeness and be healed. Now, I don't know how much she knew about Christ. She may have had still a lot of different things to learn about him. But one thing is for sure, she understood her need and she understood that he was able to meet it, that he was sufficient. And so there may have been a lot of other things that, that she would learn along the way, but I believe that Jesus is honored with her faith, even if it was an imperfect faith to some degree. We just don't know. So I would say, don't be afraid that you don't know enough. Be afraid if you are unwilling to reach out to him in the first place. That's the way when someone first comes to Christ. Yeah, there are still questions. There's still a lot that needs to be known, but that's part of the, the process of becoming a child of God and growing in the faith and being able to understand more and more. But we can rest assured that one doesn't have to have it all figured out to possess a faith that pleases God. It's a beginning faith. J.C. Ryle said it this way, faith brings an empty hand, receives everything, and can give nothing in return. You see, there were many in the crowd that day. Again, some may have just been curious. But in this case, this was a lady who was, who was fully, fully dependent upon him. She was putting it all on Christ. If she was going to survive, if she was going to make it, if she was going to continue, it was going to be because Christ had the answer for her. You know, that's the, that's the same today. People all over, everywhere, are in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the healer, the one who redeems. Well, here's the application question. How many come who are desperate for Christ, knowing that he is the only solution? You see, I think that there's something that's conveyed in that. And I think it's, first of all, that Jesus is sufficient and that we are dependent 
upon him to do his work in us. And so when we come before him and say, yes, we are desperate for Christ, that is, uh, in fact, saying we know he is the only solution. Well, I said I wanted to, to look briefly at Mark chapter 1. I promise this will be very quick. Mark chapter 1, if you'll turn with me to verse 40. And I want us to read another account of a person who needs to be healed. It's a person who has a, a, a disease that would, be, that, would, that would be one that also has a lot of social stigma on it, uh, attached to it. But I want us to see that, that the accounts, while they're similar, also have some differences. So let's, let's read them really in parallel this morning, and, and we begin in uh, verse 40. Then a man with leprosy came to him, and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. As we think about these two accounts, we can, uh, we can see that this man had a posture. And what does it say? How did he come before Jesus? Did you pick it up? pick up on it? Yeah, he came on his knees, which when we compare it to the other account, the lady eventually fell before him, so we see some, some parallels there. Uh, we can see him make the statement, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, a short paraphrase would be something like, Jesus, you can do it. Does that, does that sound like faith? I mean, the woman had faith by reaching out and touching. The man had faith by making a statement like this. And then we have the response of Jesus in verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. And that really struck me as I was thinking about this account. I know we're, you know, we, in, at least where we live, you know, you don't see a lot of accounts of leprosy. I know that it still does exist in parts of the world. And you see the disfigurement, you see the, the, the sores, you see, you see the pain that an individual is involved in when they when they are identified as a leper. You've probably read about you know, places where they would live, colonies and so forth. And, and you think, how many times does a leper feel a touch from another person? Probably never, right? And yet, the woman was the one that reached out to touch Christ. But in this case, Jesus is the one that reached out and touched him. And I, I have to say that that probably communicated something to that man that day, that Jesus would touch him. Why would Jesus do it? Look at verse 41. He was moved with compassion. And when we think about our great sovereign creator God, who has all of the ability to do whatever he wants to do, including miracles and healing and so forth, we are also reminded of his character that says he is also a God that demonstrates what? Compassion. And maybe there's some here today that need to be reminded of his compassion. Or maybe the world around us needs to be reminded of his compassion as he is at work through us. I read an account years ago that a lady wrote. She, uh, she worked in a hospital. In fact, she worked in an emergency room. 
And she said uh, every day she went to work, every day, all day she was interacting with people that, were, that, were, that had problems, right? They were hurt, they were sick, they had needs. And she said, she said it was so hard for her to work in an emergency room setting because she just found herself crying all the time. And so she eventually just kind of put a wall up, right, just so that she could get through the day. But she said that what unintentionally happened is that, that it really impacted the way that she cared for the people in the room. She said there was a particular occasion in which a, uh, uh, a young woman was brought to the hospital in the middle of the night, and uh, she had just tried to take her life with an overdose of drugs. And the, uh, the mother of this young woman was, you know, contacted in the middle of the night by the police and brought into the, to the hospital, and so she's in the emergency room sitting in front of this lady, and it's this, job's la- this lady's job to do the intake and get all of the, the information, so she's trying to get, you know, names and dates and, and uh, health insurance card information and, and all of those things, and, and she found herself getting frustrated with the woman because the woman wasn't giving her the information very quickly. Which you can imagine, right? Think of what she's been through so far that night. She's bleary-eyed, she's weary, she's, she's, just, she's worried, she doesn't know what's going on. And so the lady, the employee, grabbed all the information, went back to the copy machine, started to copy it, and she said, God met me right there at the copier. And she immediately realized that she hadn't even looked at the woman hadn't looked at her in the eyes, just was, just was doing, the, doing the job, right? Doing the business and trying to get on to the next person. And she said it all changed when she went back. She said, I, I sat down in front of her and I looked her right in the eye. And she said, I, I clasped my hands around hers and said, I care. I care about what you're going through, what you've been through. And I assure you that those of us that are here care about your daughter. And she said, immediately, the woman started crying, started weeping, and said, you don't know what it's been like. I'm a single mom. I've been trying to raise a, a teenage child, and we've, we've been through the ups and the downs, and it's been such a struggle. And uh, she said, when, when she was finished kind of telling her what she'd been through, she looked at the employee, and, and the mom said, thank you. <laughs> she, she said, those words, thank you, just struck me. And she's like, really, thank me, the cold-hearted person who wouldn't even look at you? But she wrote this article, and it, it's, it's one that, I, that, I've, that I've thought about on, a, on an occasional basis because it, it reminds us that in this world, we have a compassionate God who is working through His people, and at times we are to express compassion to them, the brokenness that's around us. Sometimes these are divine appointments. God's placed us in this moment so that we can say the words, I care. I am here. I will pray. I think about that and think about what we've been reading here and the example of Christ. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who's compassionate? And aren't you glad we serve a God who says, I am the Lord, your healer? I mean, this, this is, a, this is a, big, a big understanding for us to take when we think about who God is. Again, maybe today you've discovered there's some wounds and hurts that no one else can heal. That it's going to be Jehovah Rapha to step into the emotional pain or the spiritual needs, or yes, it includes physical as well. He can heal all of it. But where does it start? It starts with faith. Just like the woman reaching out her hand, and she was commended for doing so, 
Her faith was commended, just like the man who believed that Jesus could make the difference. There was his response. And so I wrap up the message today by saying Jesus also has issued a call. He said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So maybe that's a thought for someone here today. Or maybe that's a word that you can share with someone else. As we go to the Lord in prayer, I just want to ask you those questions one more time. Is your identity rooted in Jesus? That you are a child of the King. Are you seeking the healing that only Jesus provides? Is your faith directed in a personal pursuit of Jesus Christ? And does His compassion flow into you and through you to those that are around you. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, you have given us your word and you have described to us who you are. And I pray as we think about your greatness and your majesty and your supremacy and your sovereignty, that we will be amazed that this God would draw near as a shepherd, as a healer, as a friend of sinners. So Lord, take your word and apply it today. Apply it to my heart. Apply it to each of us who are, who are considering what we have read today. Use your spirit, Lord. Use your spirit today to apply it and to show us the commitments that you have for us today. And God, we pray that as we move into a new year, that the truth and the compassion of Jesus Christ can flow forth from the fellowship of Wildwood and that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified. For we pray this in his name and all of God's people said, amen.